extremely excited about the Lord Jesus Christ, um, being able to serve him in our day, being able to serve him in our way, getting rocked off the opportunity to grab the baton from our forefathers and run as hard as they did. Um, we're learning from them. We're learning sometimes what not to do, and we're also learning a lot of what to do. And we're challenging our contemporaries to not reinvent the wheel. There are things that have been passed down to us that were never meant to be changed. In fact, it's our job to run even harder, uh, echoing and amening uh, that which was once for all entrusted to us. Today, I'm going to take my time. Sometimes I feel like I, I feel more rushed um, than I always end up being because there's a very simple theme, but of course profound theme that we're gonna deal with today. I think my challenge today is in relaying to you something that you've already heard if you've been with us from the beginning of John. There's probably nothing I'm gonna say today that you haven't heard, and I almost began to reflect on how frustrating it can be if you sort of like dancing around the breadth of scripture to find a wide array of stuff to keep your interest. Most people, it's, well, in many churches, it's difficult to see people, A, just teach through the Bible because that's not fun. You know, you want to just be able to just flip and turn and toss and go all over the place and just find a bunch of stuff. Then when you work through a passage of scripture and you're, you're forcing your chain to what's there, you find, Dag, I have to say what's here. I sort of had another, you know what I mean, an, some other bright ideas of my own, but, Dag, either I can come up with my own ideas and then find a text for it, or I can sort of be chained to the unraveling of this and pray that God's word will actually do what it is that I sort of think my word will probably do a better job at doing. And that is keeping people, drawing people, building people. So today I'm going to show you, if you've been with us, how Jesus is still making a case that he's the sure shot. That everyone needs him and there's no escaping him. The only reason why that's important is because John has written a whole book. And he says, I wrote it simply to highlight Jesus Christ and make it so that people who get rocked off of what I've highlighted will believe in him and find life in his name. Now, you got to understand where I come from. Where I come from, too much Jesus will aggravate people. Now, I know we're in church, so nobody here is going to say that. But you don't understand. It's like what we're doing here is a demonstration of, Lord willing, what we're doing everywhere. This isn't, oh, it's Jesus time, yeah. And at 1.30 when we're out eating, then it's my time. For the believer, Jesus' time is so steady and Jesus' time is so uh, uninterrupted that it can aggravate the person who gets frustrated with an overdose of Jesus. Nowhere did I see this more clear in my life. I've often mentioned it, but this week I began to think, wait, people tune into the website. You can't take for granted that you don't need to repeat certain things. Nowhere did I see this more than in Christian rap. Christian rap is the domain of the rapper who happens to be a Christian. Rappers who happen to be Christian argue that it is their right to not rap Christian. Just, I rap, and oh yeah, I'm a Christian. The Christian rapper differentiates himself or herself from that in that I'm a Christian, therefore all my rap must reflect that. Does that mean you always have to talk about Jesus? Not necessarily, but you always ought to talk through the perspective of what Jesus would say if he were talking. Once again, what inevitably happens is, like the, the, the pages of this book, you find his name keeps bogarting its way to your lips even when you didn't intend on it. I wasn't going to rap about Jesus. It's just that, dag, I started talking about someone who measures up to all this stuff, and he was the only one that fit, so I got to say Jesus. Today, what you're going to find is Jesus 
bogarting his way up again because he's the only one that fits the description. Today, you're going to see a savior who's a smooth operator. It's nothing like a smooth hero. You know, it's one thing. That's why we don't we like Superman and not Clark, even though they're the same person. Clark Kent is not smooth. And so you can't wait for Clark Kent to move out the way and Superman to come on the scene and start talking with a deeper voice and a more smooth style. Lois, Lois, oh, Lois. And then Superman comes out, Lois. We would hate for Jesus to really be the savior but not be that smooth. I mean, I don't know about you, but I sort of like a smooth savior. Just like we don't want a feminine Jesus. You know what I mean? Even like if, if the real Jesus was feminine, I mean, we'd have to take him as he's revealed himself. But fortunately, the revelation is that Jesus <laughs> is muscular. Demons see him from abroad and they don't be like, we could take him. Come on, guys. From a distance, they say, we know who you are. You're not coming to do away with us before the time, are you? Get out of him. Well, wait, can I just ask the favor? Can I at least, you know, go into the pigs? This is the Jesus we're talking about. It's this Jesus that we present to you today. The book of John we've been seeing is Jesus coming to his own. The first chapter says he came to his own and his own received him not. Jesus came on the scene to say, ta-da, I'm here. All the way back to Adam, we told you I was coming. To the last book of Hebrew scriptures, Malachi, we said the next thing you see will be the introduction of the man of honor. The next voice you hear after the person who introduced him will be the man of honor, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm here and straightway, as the Bible says, he gets right to showing people and I'm more than you ever expected. Only reason why I'm saying this is because Jesus Christ wants to occupy a place in society, in history, in our hearts, in our homes. And the question is, will we let him and do we think he's qualified to fill and fit such big shoes? He wants to be the head of our houses, not us. He wants to be the captain of our ship and not us. Well, Jesus, can you handle it? Are you able? I mean, you... I'm, you nice and all, but can you? And so over and over again, Jesus positions himself and posits himself as, no, don't worry, I'm more than enough. So turn to chapter 8. We're in chapter 8 of John. This is beautiful for me. Because now that I'm, I have to just deal with the text that I have, like what we happen to be on, I don't get to choose the text anymore. I've been preaching a lot, but I always get to choose the text so I navigate my way to a text that, A, I'm comfortable with, B, I sort of know, C, or I have enough time to investigate, and then I sort of have enough time to just work it. Now, week after week, I'm, oh, what are we, where are we at? Okay, bet. How many verses in this next, okay, what's reasonable for me to do? Okay, bet. From 12 to 30, dad, and then I go in this in-depth study to find out what 12 to 30 says, only to find out, man, that's almost what <laughs> chapter 7 said. Let's read, starting with verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. 
They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Get ready for this, y'all. You're going to see your Savior if you're saved. And if you're not, you're going to see the historical Jesus Christ jump into a courtroom-type drama and kill it as a witness, as a defendant, and as a prosecutor. Watch Jesus pull off being the bangingest witness, the bangingest defendant, and the bangingest prosecutor. First, let's look at Jesus the witness. Verse 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. First, let's look at the self-claim, the claim made by Jesus, he's bearing witness to himself, which is why they said, yeah, you're bearing witness of yourself. Your testimony isn't true. We'll get to that later. First, let's just examine this claim, I am the light of the world. I, you know, when you hear certain verses all your life, a lot of times you think there's more to it because you've heard it so much and people have done elaborate sermons on it. So then you trek back to where it comes from and sometimes you bug to find Wait, there's nothing more here. He doesn't explain the light. He doesn't go into any long discourse about the light. He makes one simple claim. I am the light. Let's consider. I am the light of the world. Let's look at the claim. This is an unpacking of who he says that he is. Remember, we're talking about making big deals about Jesus. We put up songs about Jesus. Over and over again, the next song is also about Jesus. The Christian rapper chains himself to this person named Jesus. Won't even big himself up when he's functioning properly. Because every time he gets ready to exalt himself, he remembers, oh, Jesus. Jesus, the text says, again. Now, uh, chapter 8 starts with the story of the woman called in adultery. And it's believed that this was inserted in there so that it's an interruption in what was going on back, um, back in chapter 7. Chapter 7, turn back there real quick, verse 37. Chapter 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, a little further back, follow me now. This is a drama unfolding. A little further back, Jesus was getting heckled by his brothers who didn't believe that he was the shot. Remember, today, we want to leave out here believing Jesus is the shot. His brothers were like, hey, aren't you going up to the, to the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles? He says, yo, don't you want to blow up? They said, Jesus, nobody who wants to be publicly received goes in secret. Go, man, get out of here. Go. The, the festival's about to start. Jesus told them, see, 
basically because he's a man of strategy and plan. He says, see, for you, any time would be the right time. For basically, for me, I move by a divine timetable. I know what I'm going there to do. I'm not going there just to enjoy a festival. See, that's what y'all are doing. I'm not going just to be received. I'm going to make some claims that's going to rattle people's whole frames. So, A, I'm going to be careful about how I go and when I go. Now, I like this because when he got there, the text says that he just started teaching that, and so, like, I like the fact that first Jesus goes to them when he finally did get there, he just starts teaching. He doesn't upset people. He just starts teaching. Now, verse 37 says, but on the last day, he stood up and cried out. Now, you get the picture here. Like, he's just being all chill with it the first few days of the festival. On the last day, now he's ready because, you know, you can't mess up the festival before it get underway. He has to wait to the great crescendo. And I need to learn from this because as a rapper, right, a lot of times people bring us in and you usually hold the gospel to the end. I never can wait that long. So I always get up in there and after we sort of do like four jams and we have about like six more to go, right? People are all up and then I start bringing this message of sin and death and how we displease God and we need to be born again. The whole mood drops. We lose people. They go take water breaks. The little kids in the front that liked us start like sighing and falling all over the monitors. Like, like I need to take a lesson from Jesus Jesus knew how to wait till the right time to bring the stuff that's going to completely dishovel everything. So I only say that because the again is picking up from the last day. Jesus has already stood up. I like the imagery. Jesus stood and cried out. This isn't Jesus. Blessed is the meek. This is Jesus who get up. Hey. Yo. I mean, I could just see him now. If I could stand on this, I would. If anybody's thirsty. Holler at me. Holler at me. Anybody, any of y'all, now remember, these, this is a mass of people that's gathered for this festival. If anybody believes in me, just like the sacred writings say, out of him will overflow living, uh, rivers of living water. Now, first of all, this isn't one of the religious leaders, the accepted religious leaders. You can understand if a pastor gets up and starts commanding people. I command you right now to stand and put something in your hand. We're going to take an offering. But what if some random cat came here? Everybody stand up. Get something in your hand. I want you all to. You'd be like, who is this dude? Jesus stands up, cries out. But he wasn't finished with saying, holler at me about if you're thirsty. It says here, verse 12, go back to 8:12. And again, on top of bugging people out with this, this cry, if you're thirsty, now he says something that's even more crazy. I am the light of the world. Listen to this claim. This is audacious if it's not true. This is arrogant if it's not true. Let's look at the context of this claim. Because Jesus is a strategist. The immediate context is Jesus is in a part of the temple known as the court of the women. The reason why that's interesting is because, you know, the men and women couldn't go everywhere together in the temple. So now you're in a place where men and women can go. You're in a place where the, a larger amount of people will be. In the court of the women, they had what we call a lighting ceremony where they would put these, they had these tall candelabras, as though it were, four. Each of them had about four candles on them. When they lit them at night, the light was so bright, I believe it's hyperbole, but they said all of Jerusalem was lit by them. Levitical priests would come out and they would dance. Now, Lord willing, they had some masculine dances. 
But they would come out and dance and they would like they would perform all these dances and they would be celebrating the fact that God has basically lit up their path. So that's what the festival of lights was all about. God is our light. And they would come into the court of the women. It, now, there's a discrepancy. It may have been every night that they did this or it could have been at the beginning. So like the Olympics beginning and at the end. You know how the Olympics is the, like every day is not like the first day. Well, now Jesus is in the place where the great light show already takes place. He's at a place where men and women come together and it's on the last day. So, you know, you save and go out for it with a bang. Consider the context. He doesn't just say now Israel, they celebrated the fact that Yahweh was the light of Israel. Jesus goes a step beyond and says, I'm not just the light of Israel. I'm the light of the world. Now, Jerusalem was said to be lit by these candles, these, these lamps. Jesus says, my light will light a world, a globe. Your light lights a city. When he comes on the scene, he says, wait, that's the immediate context. I'm standing in the place where a great light show happens, and I say, I'm the light. Historically, though, chapter 6, Jesus said, hey, you know the manna that y'all are so geeked over historically? The manna that came down? I'm the bread that came down. Chapter 7, he says, you know how water came from the rock in the wilderness? Trust in me. I'll give you the water that the rock gave them in the wilderness. Chapter 8 now, he comes on the scene. And you know the light show you just saw or that we're just seeing? You know I'm the greater light show. Consider the claim. Jesus is the light of the world. Also, historically speaking, Jesus is thinking back because just like the manna was part of the wilderness theme, something that happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel that were being led out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land. Just like the water in the rock was during the journey from slavery into salvation or into deliverance. Jesus comes on the scene and says, listen, this light is like the light that led Israel because the, the God's presence led them as a cloud by day and a big ball of fire by night. Jesus is saying, and they're thinking, wait a minute. You running it like you're the same kind of thing that blazed up in the sky in the wilderness. And the reason why we know that is because he says, and anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. This cloud of fire by night was known to just start moving. Now, if you're in the wilderness, if you're in the desert, it's not like they, like they got street lights. So it's like, man, if it wasn't for this, we'd be in trouble. The, if it started moving, if you didn't move with it, you were left in darkness. So... Jesus is saying, so I'm like that light. Anybody who doesn't keep in step with me will basically be left in darkness. Now, we're going to get to that. Scriptural context. This is the glory of God. Jesus is basically saying, I'm all that you've been reading about and more. That light was the presence of God. Right in your grill is the one who is the presence of God in bodily form. That light guided people on a journey. I'm the one who's going to set the pace that you ought to follow and imitate on your journey out of, uh, out of bondage into freedom. God in Psalm 27, one says they, they called him, the Lord is my light and my salvation. They were talking about Yahweh. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, I'm no less your light than Yahweh is. The, the, the law was called the light. The, it's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Jesus says, yeah, I'm the living word. Listen, y'all. Here's the point. What a claim to make. 
Who are you? And this is what we're saying. This is why the songs, this is why people pray in Jesus' name. This is why we're worshiping. This is why you don't speak less of him the higher up society brings you. Oh, man, we just loved you. Everybody get their start in the church. And that's when Jesus is all up in their mix. And the more they get invited to the red carpet, the more Jesus has to wait at the door. Psalm 139 says, to God, darkness is like light. In other words, it has no power over him. You ever notice that? You can't turn on darkness. You have to turn off light. See, that's the thing. You, like, you can't like, let me turn this dark bulb on. <laughs> and, like, you don't do that. You turn off light and then darkness just be like, thank you. I thought we'd never be able to come back in here. But with God, darkness never can get in. Jesus says, I'm that type. So much light, darkness can't ever get. He says, so stick with me. Now, not only do we consider this claim, you got to look how this is a continuing of Jesus outdoing everything the Jewish people. Now, Gentiles, non-Jews are looking on at the scene and they've got their own little gods, but they don't understand the deepness. Remember, Jesus didn't come to the Gentiles. He came to the Jews. Now, non-Jews were onlookers and they were marveling at this dude is still tight. But the Jews were aggravated because they understood they had a history and they already had their hopes set on all this stuff. Jesus said, man, I came on the scene and I was the better wine. I came on the scene. I went straight to the wilderness. Let Satan come and tempt me. I showed you I'm the better Adam. He says, yo, man, remember I went and I was the better bread. I was the better well. I was better than Jacob. I was better than later on. He's going to say I'm better than Abraham. I'm better. And so Jesus is looking at us like, man, I'm not asking you to give your life. I'm not asking you to place faith in someone who's a runner up. I'm not asking you to place your faith in someone who's just kind of OK or another great one among the bunch. I'm coming telling you I'm the one that outdoes all the great ones. And the consequence of this claim is following him. You can't sit there and brother shot always is good for a good amen. The good thing about him is he doesn't just amen with his lips, but with his life. Because he says that whoever amens me will not stay in darkness. No, he says whoever follows me. You can't just agree with Jesus. We were out prayer walking. We said something about Jesus. They said, amen. Everyone said that. We didn't hear anybody with the exception of the person he was talking about. We didn't hear anybody say, Jesus ain't the way. Now, I don't know what their lives are like, but I'm just saying it's easy to say amen. But will you follow him? Will you go home after this and do the homework like, man, well, what does following him look like? Where is he going? What would he do? Remember the WWJD campaign? The problem with the WWJD campaign was people were asking the question, what would Jesus do too late? See, they do their own thing and then come to a glitch in their own thing and say, what would Jesus do to help me not run into a wall in my thing? Wow. So you, you basically, you date who you want to date. You go where you want to go. You do what you want to do. Then inside that, you run into a glitch and say, hmm, what would Jesus do? Like, you got to back up. Would Jesus even be in the position you're in? Following him is not trotting off and then saying, hey, cloud, it's dark. Can you cast a little light over here? And so Jesus says, listen, follow me. Follow me. Whoever follows me, present participle, so it's continually, will not walk in darkness. Freedom from the impact of life without God. Remember Genesis chapter 1 starts off the 
earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. It says the, the spirit of God started moving and then God said, let there be light. Which means before God pronounces or casts light into any circle, it's going to be formless and void. That's our lives. Our lives before God gets in. Now, in common grace in this day and age, we're, we get some benefits of a God that sometimes we don't even care about. But the idea here is, who is, remember, he stood up. Who's thirsty? Like, Jesus is not just begging people for him. He's, he says, who's thirsty? I'm telling you, I'm the man for you. Then he says, who's in darkness? I'm the light. Who do you know that's being impacted by an absence of me? One of my new shows is To Catch a Predator. Dateline has this show, To Catch a Predator. It's about adults who prey on teenagers. And in it, replete, one, one is a show of utter darkness. The show isn't dark, but they cast light on how dark the human soul is. And you have to, they meet in a chat room. And it's almost like people will say, hey, you're kind of young to be in here. And the idea is that in there is darkness of an intense sort. Men meet boys there. Men meet little girls there. It's like there's no light. God's influence is not there. It's darkness. He says, who's caught up in situations where it's just dark? He says, I'm the light. Follow me. Now, but wait, but, but that may mean you have to leave him. That may mean you have to leave her. That may mean you can't go there. That's what following means. Like, I'm not there. Come. Like, this is the light of the world. He doesn't explain. He just says, I'm it. In his day and age, light was, everybody knew light meant good. Dark meant bad. Light meant God's involved. Dark meant God's absent. That's it. And he says, I'm the light for the whole world. Somebody in India could believe in me and their lives change. Somebody in Greece, you in Jerusalem, and you know the picture. They don't know the picture like you do, Israel. You remember the cloud? There was a fire by night. Remember how it moved? And people got up and followed it. He says, I'm that now. The claim. Now that's him as his own witness. His own witness. And until you apply darkness to your life, you won't appreciate the beauty of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, I'll read it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is a theological truth that you're born in darkness. He must call you out of darkness into his light. Now, this is what happens when that happens. The following. Hey, follow me is the call. It says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners. That's the next verse. Excuse me. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The call out of darkness is a call of God being merciful, not because you deserve it. Then he says, now I urge you, follow, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. This idea of darkness and that being our starting point. So Jesus is not just like redundant here. He's talking to people who first don't have to admit they come from a realm of darkness. Now, Jesus gets put on the stand 
for being a witness and turns into a defendant. Let's read 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, real quick, just flip over to um, five, chapter 5, verse 30. Real quick, just to appreciate the, the spirit of this, this beef. Because Jesus just went from a credible witness to being put on the stand as a defendant. Now, look, back here, three chapters earlier, verse 30 says, Jesus, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true or valid. There was another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Jesus acknowledges, if I'm just on the solo here, I understand you could question me. That was his spirit and his attitude before. Now, flip back. Jesus gets straight and says, wait a minute. If I do bear witness about myself, it's true. You see a difference in his attitude? The contention with his claim is, wait a minute, even if you're the light of the world, you're saying it yourself. That's not a valid witness. They're trying to get him on a technicality. They're not saying whether it's true or not. They're just trying to get him on a technicality. Jesus says, wait a minute, uh-uh. Let me tell you something about me. Even if I testify on my own, my testimony is true. Now, you got to understand, remember, I'm... There's several things we want you to do here. Not only trust Jesus Christ and live, not only follow him out of dark scenarios, ultimately spiritually, but then also practically. Appreciate his smoothness. Appreciate his humanity. Don't we start off sometimes and, like not answering a fool according to their folly? Every now and then people harass you and you're real nice about it. You sort of go along with them. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know the church has hurt people. Yeah, I, I know it's a lot of uh, hypocrites. And I mean, you're right. I mean, and I apologize on behalf of the church. And I mean, I'm not even, sometimes you be, I'm, even I don't always do everything right. And you go with that. But then there comes a point when you hear people don't want truth and all of their con contentions really are irrelevant they just really want to get out of responding right to Jesus on a technicality, even if he really is Messiah. But wait, there's a the Bible's been tampered with. You like, man, OK, and you'll answer them. Well, no, it hasn't. Uh, and another thing, um, church folk are hypocrites. Yeah, you're right. But let's get back to the claim of Jesus. Yeah. And I've been hurt by a few pastors. OK, bet. Ah. Well, you know, they're called under shepherds. Can I talk to you about the chief shepherd? Oh, uh, uh, I just don't want to believe. And then you like, see, you're looking for technicalities. So they're like here saying, wait a minute, your, your, your testimony isn't true. Is what I'm saying true? Or just the fact that I'm the only one saying it? He says, yo, I had a friend of mine back in the days I used to witness to him. I was killing it. He was catching it. And right when he was about to have to admit, I just don't want Jesus. But what you're saying is answering everything. He said, wait a minute. Matter of fact, who did Cain go and marry? When Cain, the Bible says that God sent Cain away. Who did he go? Did he marry his sister? Uh, he said, I said, I don't want to talk no more. I said, but wait, but you still got to tell me what you're going to do about Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, man, Cain, I want to know who Cain Jesus plays the defendant for a little bit. He says, man, 
you know, I've been, I've been nice to you all. <laughs> Paul did the same thing. Paul said, wait a minute. Okay, okay, hold on. Let me get foolish for a minute then. He said, come on, y- y'all want to y'all talk? He said, let me talk. My credentials outdo all of y'all. Then he said, wait, I'm talking crazy. But let me talk crazy. And he runs down his credentials. It's almost like Jesus says, hold on. Chapter 5, I told you. I understand. And I gave you a litany of witnesses because you asked for witnesses. I told you the Father witness. I told you John the Baptist witnesses about me. I told you the Scriptures witness about me. I gave you the witnesses. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I just said it. He says, I said it. I'm not playing anymore. Not to mention, he says, and if I judge, right? He says, no, here's the problem. You judge, verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. First of all, you don't, you don't deem me as a solid witness because you don't know how to properly view me. And that becomes the problem today. When Jesus is looking, he's saying, wait, you judge according to the flesh. If you look at me through earthly lenses, remember in the flesh in the Bible means that thing which God's spirit has not brought back to life or brought to life. He says, the problem with y'all is you're running around here with these humanistic glasses trying to judge one who transcends humanness. And that's the problem with our world. Everyone wants to see Jesus through the eyes of what the Bible calls the flesh. He's not that impressive. If all he is is another man, okay, we've seen great men. If all he is is just, but he says, but I'm not just what you think. I'm more important than you think. I'm more essential than you think. I'm more crucial than you think. I'm bigger than you think. I'm the light. I'm not a light, the light. I'm the living water. I'm the bread that came down. But you, 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 you're judging me according to the flesh. Just like humans would. Says, I don't judge. I don't, I don't run around here judging y'all. I'll be over here healing and then y'all will come with your humanistic speculations. He says, I'm sitting here and I'm teaching. You come and throw a woman in my face saying judge. Y'all are the judgy type. He says, but when I do judge, (laughs) he says, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Smooth, y'all. Jesus said, but, 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 see, I don't judge. I don't just come up on the scene like, hey, he says, I come in, I chill. But when I do judge, it's always true. He says, And by the way, verse 16, right, says, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father. Oh, by the way, I I meet your criteria too. He says, verse 17, in your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He says, man, I'm not going to apologize. I'm from eternity. Let me tell you why I say that. Because look, he says here, he says, um, I'm sorry, go back up to 14. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. He says, I have a unique origin and I'm here on a special mission. I have a unique destination. You can't, you're not up on either one of those. You're not up on where I came from and you're not up on where I'm going. You can't be me. You didn't come from where I came from eternity past. You didn't enter into time. You didn't Blow out the frame, all the shadows and symbols. You're not headed to a cross. You're not headed there to lay down your life. He says, I know that I have a unique origin and a unique mission. You should not be judging me the way you're doing. And really, 
This is just exposing you're still in darkness. I'm just thinking about those who are going to be listening to this on the Internet. We have got to feel the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the technicalities that people use to get out of falling before the feet of Jesus, the light, and following him and trusting him. You've been hurt. You know pastors who, church is always about money. You've seen, like, all of that is just a technicality. The testimony still is true. Who's thirsty? I'm the water. Who's in darkness? Who needs light? Follow me. Let's move on. Jesus has gone from a star witness to a defendant being judged by people who don't even have the right glasses. I have a 15-year-old son. He does this all the time. Hey, Dad. Man, you shouldn't wear that. I said, how come? Ain't nobody wearing that no more. be like, yo, man, like, what? It's not in my school. Not in your school. How are you going to judge me by the criteria of high school? <laughs> Jesus is like, wait. How are you going to judge me according to the flesh? He says, you know what? Enough playing the role of the defendant. I'm getting ready to play the role of the prosecutor. Look at verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me uh, nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. He closes this section out just by saying, Jesus lit into them. This is in the treasury, not far from where the Sanhedrin, the cats that were ultimately going to get him killed. The, the, the place where they could immediately arrest him, this is where he started trouble. It says, but it wasn't his time yet. Like, he said stuff that should have got him killed right now. But again, he transcends the human playing field. It wasn't his time yet. Now, listen, as we bring it home, Jesus as the prosecutor. So he says to them, verse 21, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I'm going to stop right there. Listen. He makes a disturbing dichotomy. As a prosecutor now, he stops answering questions and starts making declarations. And the first thing he does is split him and them down the middle. He makes a dichotomy, a disturbing one. First, he says, I'm going away. You will seek me. You will die in your sins. Now, they're going to ask, is he going to kill himself? Because evidently the way he said it implied death. We say that all the time. You say, I'm almost out of here, but before I go, now somebody who is just reading a transcript, they don't know if we're saying I'm almost, I'm getting ready to leave. They don't know, what do you mean he's almost out of here? But because they said, will he kill himself, we know that something he said made them think death. And he contrasts dichotomy, split, division. My death and your death are different. I'm going away, <laughs> and you're going to seek me, or you'll be still looking for a messiah. You'll still, you'll still be looking for a light. You'll still be looking for water. He says, you're going to go away. <laughs> you're going to die, but in your sin. Makes another dichotomy. Where I'm going, you can't come. I'm going to a place you can't come. You're from below, another dichotomy. 
I'm from above. You're from this world, another dichotomy. I'm not. Listen, y'all. Feel the pressure being reversed. Feel the pressure being turned up now. And this is so beautiful because this is the world we live in. We're afraid to make dichotomies. We're afraid to draw a line between those who follow the light and those who don't. Those who've come to the rock and those who don't. Those who place faith in Jesus Christ and those who leave him on a technicality. Believers and unbelievers are different. Their death will be different. Their after death will be different. Their origins are different. That's why we had to be born again. We have a new origin. We're not from this world. Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. You're not from the world. You have a different crew, a different community. And don't be afraid to, especially when you get the hard-hearted, to say it emphatically. Me and you are not the same. You have Christians who, in the name of public popularity, will say, we're all children of God. We're not all children of God. It's a disturbing dichotomy, but it's a true one. Jesus has just said, I came here as a witness, a witness to me. I came with the offer, the offer, I'm, I'll be light, I'll be water, I'll satisfy your soul. Then you put me on the defendant stand. Got me on the rope. Some of some, wait, but I'm from above. Wait, I have a unique mission. Wait, but if you knew me, you'd know the father. Wait, wait a minute. And then flips that thing and say, where were you on the night of four? <laughs> As prosecutor, he makes a dichotomy. Hmm. Once you reject Jesus and all of your re religious fervor and all of your attempts mean nothing. Look what he says here. He says, I told you, verse 24, that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Listen. As prosecutor, he makes a disturbing dichotomy, and then he zeroes in on the danger of disbelief. Listen, y'all, I know, like, again, remember, people click on this. Like, they're people who've never heard this stuff before. This is going to rattle them. They're either going to not like us anymore, or they're going to, like, be, I'm sort of upset that I'm hearing this dude come at me like this, but God will mysteriously draw them and suck them into saying, wait, I'm getting nervous. You mean to tell me I'm not God's child? You mean to tell me I'm not from above? You mean to tell me when I die, I'm going to die in my sins? He says, yeah, unless you believe. The gospel is you will die unless you believe. But believe what? Because everybody in America runs around talking about, but I believe. I just had to have faith. Now, remember, verse 21, it says you will die in your sin, plural. Verse 24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins. Uh, excuse me, uh, the first one is singular. This one is sins, plural. The idea here is really you could sum up all of our little sins up in one sin, the sin of disbelief. When you creep what you really don't believe is either A, it's wrong, or B, that God's going to deal with you for it. Good. It says whenever you diss Jesus in your practice, in your life, it's really because you just don't believe either A, you're going to get caught, or B, it really matters. He says, you're going to die in your sin, this sin of harassing the light, this sin of rejecting the light, this sin of disbelieving that I'm the one that I said I was going to be. He says, but when I, then he goes on, he says, see, you're going to die in your sins. When you die, you'll still be the same raggedy person you were before I came on the scene. And that's tragic. Jesus says, listen. He introduces this concept called the loophole. You will die in your sins. Every single one of us would die in sin, except you believe. Believe what? 
He says here, verse 24, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in my, your sins. Listen, y'all. If you were to look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, Exodus, where, Jesus, where, where Yahweh says, I am, is followed by, I am the one or the one who exists. I am, right? That's not what this, the, the, so then the New Testament, which is also written in Greek, doesn't say I am the one who exists. It just says I am he, right? Listen, if you look at other places where I am he shows up in the Old Testament, you stop by books like Isaiah. And whenever you see it, it's after lofty claims have been made. So, um, real quickly, if you all would, just, just real quick, I just want to show you this idea of why Jesus is making that. Turn to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah, uh, go to 41. Isaiah 41, real quick. Just want to show you something. Unless you believe that I am he, I am who? Well, Look at Isaiah 41. Uh, listen, let's start with chapter 1. I mean, verse 1. It says, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the people renew their strength. Let them approach. Uh, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east? Whom, excuse me, one from the east whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, Yahweh, the first and with the last. I am he. Right. Flip over to 43. 43, starting with uh, verse 9. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now, every time you see I am he, it comes after a series of claims. And God is daring somebody else to come and be able to say, I am he. I'm the one that told the coastlands. I'm the one that brings down kings. I'm the one that God says, no, when I do it, I dare anybody to step up. And when nobody steps up, you'll see I am he. Now, if you flip that forward, Jesus has been making a set of claims as far back as meeting the, the Samaritan woman, I am the living water. I'm better than this well. He comes on the scene. He says, I'm the bread that came from heaven. He comes and says, I and the Father are in this unique relationship. He comes and says, anybody that follows me, out of them will flow the Holy Spirit or living water. When I come on the scene, I'm the light lighting up the whole globe. Anybody in any country of any time period is going to be able to follow me and not live in darkness. He says, but you don't believe me. And unless you believe I'm he, I'm all the stuff I've been saying. And he says, who are you? He says, this is the one I've been telling you from the beginning. I'm everything I've been saying. And unless you believe that Jesus is everything that he said, he says, you'll die in your sins. And you'll go off looking for another. Real quickly, y'all, he makes a disturbing dichotomy. He warns about the danger of disbelief, but our prosecutor also just says, man, let me get back to my divine duty. Look at this. Verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you, much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard to them. Divine duty. The duty of just taking from the Father, laying it out there. It's almost like, why am I still talking to you? No, no, no more talking to you. Let me get back to what I'm doing. Delivering a message, unfolding and revealing God's character. He says, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father, taken from the Father and declaring it. 
Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's a reference to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, all that comes after, says, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing, once again, there's that I am he, who measures up, uh, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things... Many believed in him. He basically, the prosecutor makes his closing remarks. I'm through arguing with y'all. Check me out when the Son of Man is lifted up. You'll see I'm all that I said. That will vindicate me. In the meantime, I'm on to revealing the Father. C.S. Lewis popularized the idea Jesus is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he is who he said he is, Lord. He says he's either a liar because you see all the kind of stuff he said, he's the light. Anybody that believes in him won't perish. He's living water. He gives living water. He's either a liar, a big liar, because remember, and again Jesus said, I'm the light. Like, Jesus didn't just say a couple things here and there. He just kept saying stuff that either he was lying or maybe he's a lunatic. Maybe Jesus just thinks more highly of himself than he ought. He says, see, Lewis says, or oh, he's Lord. He really is all the stuff he said. Jesus says, if you don't believe I'm Lord and you think I'm liar or lunatic, he says, you'll die in your sins. It says, as he was saying these things, many people believed. Now, of course, there's going to be commentary on whether or not this was legitimate belief. But they were compelled by the smooth savior who went from witness to defendant to prosecutor. They were like, I'm with him. What he said. So today, as we close. Our, our weeks together, our life together, if we're a real church, right? You know, church is a whole bunch of stuff today. It's a social environment. I mean, churches are getting big. They're opening up bookstores and coffee shops and, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. So church can be just a clean, safe environment to do regular life. Just like the Bible is full of wisdom, it can be just a nice book of literature for you to get inspired. But church is supposed to be the place where we agree that he's not liar, he's not lunatic, he's Lord, he's light, we follow him, and our lives, as we imitate him, avoid the impact of the reign of darkness. Where we don't do it Jesus' way is where darkness grabs us and has an impact on us. Just like this book has a lot of stories and a lot of benefits, but Jesus cracked open the book and said, every single thing in here speaks about me. The festivals speak about me. And when he came on earth, he would show up at a festival that was about, that they didn't know was about him and say, see, that was about me. That was light, I'm light. It was a festival of water and cleansing. Uh, okay, your ritual of cleansing. Yep, that's me. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying? The oil, the dove. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah. I, everything people, religious people are into, Jesus says, I'm the supreme reality of it. Please, I offer myself to you. If anyone wants out of their raggedy situation of being at odds with God, I'm the one. And so, with that being said, today we pray that in the vein of John 8, that we will recognize Jesus is the light of the world, Anyone who believes in him, which always manifests itself in following him, will not walk in darkness, but have a light that produces and is characterized by life. Let's pray. Father God, we are praying. We're praying that. That our generation will grow in appreciation for the light. We're praying, Lord, that people here will not get tired of the Lord Jesus and your claims. We're praying that we will develop a 
slew of people who understand that the world is empty because they don't have Jesus. It's not popular, God. Our needs are becoming more important than the need meter. Our interests, our longings, our esteem. But you, Lord Jesus, said, look, seek first the kingdom, which means seek first the king. And those things I give freely. Thirsty, I give water. I, I, I quench thirst. Blind, I bring sight. Deaf, I restore hearing. Dead, I bring to life. Let it be about you, Lord. If there's anyone in here who's not saved, the Bible says if, you, if your heart will cling to the one, it says as they heard him, even before, like he didn't say, now who wants me again? They just heard him talking about himself and they believed. If you're in here and you've heard all this talk about Jesus Christ or you're, you're, you're logged on and checking us out from abroad, if your heart is latching on to Jesus as who he said he was, light, water, life, the Bible says that you will be saved. And we're praying that for you today. Father, that make these things a reality in Jesus' name. Amen. If you trusted Christ today, um, there is a, um, there's a card inside of the bulletin. We want you to fill that out. Same visitor's piece. If you've already done it as a visitor, we just ask that you fill it out because we'd like, to, we'd like to keep up with you, follow up with you, and talk with you about the decision that God has moved you to make to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's big up God for his word, for his word.